Our teaching passage is in Philippians chapter 3, and it is verse 1 through 14. Furthermore, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Do I myself have reasons for such confidence? If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law, faultless, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost of lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the, the righteousness that comes from God, and the bias of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jeremiah. Well, <clears throat> let's begin with prayer. Lord, I just, I just ask that you would speak to each person here today. Lord, you really do have something to say to each one of us, wherever we are in life. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, help us as we hear your word, as we hear uh, this message that I believe you've laid on my heart, um, Lord, that it would be encouraging, uh, that it would challenge us, that it would build us up, and that more than anything, it would point our hearts and minds to Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, we need you. Without you, we labor in vain. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, you know, this question may be a, not a great question to ask in church, but have any of you ever been on a mission trip before? Raise your hand. If, well, you don't have to raise your hand. Some of you already are raising your hand. If, you know, if you have been on a mission trip before, do you remember your first mission trip? 
I mean, of course, if you've only been on one, you remember. But if you've been on multiple, do you remember your first time you went with a group of people on what's called a mission trip, on a, a journey with a group to tell people about Jesus and serve in the name of Jesus? Well, the first trip I ever went on was when I was a freshman in college at East Texas Baptist University. And during spring break, the Baptist student ministry was taking students who signed up uh, on a mission trip to Chicago, Illinois. Now look, I had never been on a mission trip before, and I had never been to Chicago before. So I decided that this was the perfect mission trip for me, because I wanted to do both. And I'd never been on a mission trip before. So we took a couple of vans and drove them all the way from East Texas to Chicago, and, and when we got there, uh, we did a lot of service projects and helped various churches in the city. And one of the projects we were a part of involved us splitting off into groups of four and starting conversations with people in hopes that the conversation would eventually turn to Jesus. The church we were working with gave us a list of questions to ask people on the street as we met them throughout the day. And many of those questions were questions about God. So when my group went around Chicago asking people those questions, as you can probably imagine, many of those people ignored us, and the ones who let us engage them in conversations eventually left the conversation once they realized it had become somewhat of a religious conversation. So you can probably imagine me, little 18-year-old uh, Cody, you can probably imagine that I was getting pretty discouraged by this, but my biggest discouragement was yet to come. Eventually, my group found a woman who was clearly homeless and was happy to have a conversation with us. And as the questions started turning to questions about God and the Bible, she didn't run away. She actually stayed and, and had that conversation with us. In fact, she engaged us on those questions and was honest about questions she had about God. And I was surprised and impressed that she wanted to have this conversation. I realized during the conversation, though, that she looked familiar to me. Where do I know this lady from? And so I realized I had seen her at the church that we were helping her, or that we were helping out at. And so I told her, hey, I think I've seen you at the church we're helping at. She said, yeah, I go to that church sometimes because they help me with food and clothes. Uh, but I, I'm not actually a Christian. I said, oh, really? Oh, okay. And she said, yeah, I, I'm actually a Satanist. <laughs> I looked back at her, not sure if she was joking or not. Like, wait, what? And she said, really? I am. I go to a Satanist gathering every week. We sometimes cut ourselves to give blood offerings. Look, here are the... Here are the the scars on my wrist to prove it. So <laughs> at this point, me and my group were like, what in the world have we gotten ourselves into? What, what is this? And she said, yeah, these are my Satanist CDs. Some of you may not remember CDs. But basically, this is the way that she listened to Satanist music. She said, yeah, these are my Satanist CDs. I didn't even know that there was a 
yeah, I didn't even know there were satanic, uh, I don't even know how to put that, satanic CDs. She said, do you want to check them out? Um, no, I thought. But I remember feeling just a lot of sadness, and just compassion for her. And so I said, uh, sure, okay. And so she showed me her Satanist CD, and you know how CDs, if you remember, had like the, the lyrics and a little leaflet in there. So she showed me, I figured, okay, I listened to her, now it's my turn. Or she listened to me, now it's my time to listen to her. So I, I looked at her Satanic CDs, and um, man, I just, I just remember feeling a sense of darkness and sadness in my body that I don't think I'd ever felt on that level before in that moment. It just was, yeah, it was, it was, that was hard. That was just one of the saddest things I've ever experienced. And uh, after that, I, I honestly don't really remember much of the conversation that we had after that moment. I was very blindsided by that. But I remember we talked a little bit about Chicago, talked a little bit about her life. She, she was like, don't go on this street, don't go on this street, avoid this area. And we were like, okay. And uh, I remember she said something that really stuck with me, that has really stuck with me ever since then. She said, you know, there are a lot of Christians that come through here each day from churches, but you guys are the first ones that I've ever felt loved by. Now that comment to me was shocking. And I couldn't believe that churches all across the nation were piling up in a bus like our group, driving off to tell people in Chicago all about Jesus and not remotely resembling Jesus. And if we're honest, we don't have to go to Chicago to see Christians who don't resemble Jesus and what they say and do. We can often just go to the grocery store or to school or to work or sometimes even to home. Sadly, we can often just go to church. And most discouraging of all, we can often just look in a mirror. Now, I'm not saying all of this to discourage you. I know this is discouraging. I'm saying all of this to remind you and myself that Jesus has so much more in store for us than to just read about him or talk about him. What he has in store for us as a church and as individuals is discipleship. Discipleship. As you might remember from the last couple of weeks, discipleship to Jesus means that you are committed to arranging your life around three goals. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. Or doing what Jesus would do if he were you, your family, your job your role at church, with your chronic illness, whatever it is. Now, the, the word disciple is a word that we don't hear a lot today. Um, we just don't hear that word disciple. We just hear it in the context of reading the Bible, right? But discipleship in the time of Jesus is a lot like our concept of apprenticeship 
We don't hear discipleship a lot, but we hear apprenticeship a lot. So, Mac, where are you, Mac? There you are, all the way in the back. Our very own Mac works for Habitat for Humanity, in which he builds houses. Now, if, if Mac was to train someone to build houses with him and join him in his work, what would he do? He would find someone to apprentice under him. And that person would regularly be with Mac, and over time they would become like Mac as a builder, and eventually they would start doing what? They would start building houses with Mac. Now, what would Mac's goal be for his apprentices? It would be to form them into someone who, over time, finds themselves more naturally and easily becoming like him as a builder. Can we all agree on that? Now, that is vitally important, and it's an often missed aspect of discipleship in churches today. Now, if I were to ask you this question, why did Jesus come here? Like, why did Jesus come here? You would probably say to me, well, to take us to be with him. And you would be partly right. In John chapter 14, verse 3, Jesus comforted his disciples the night before he went to the cross. He said, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So the fact that Jesus came to bring us more and more into the presence of his love and care is one of the most beautiful and attractive things about him. But right after saying that, he told his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What does this show us? It shows us that Jesus doesn't just care about where you're going. Sometimes we've made that the, the only thing in churches. All that matters is where we're going. Well, Jesus doesn't just care where you're going. He also cares about who you're becoming. Not just where you're going, but who you are becoming. He's not just into transportation, he's into transformation. That is what discipleship is about. And this is what we see Paul confronting in our passage we just read today. He warns the Philippian church that there are certain Jews that identified as Christians, but were falsely going around and teaching churches that in order to know, experience, follow, and find forgiveness of sins in Jesus, a person must be circumcised. What? That seems so ridiculous and even random to us, right? Like, why would that matter? But in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, we have to realize that circumcision became a way of marking on the outside that someone belonged to the people of God. So as Gentiles started to follow Jesus and become part of the people of God by faith in him, some Jewish Christians were telling them that they needed faith on the inside and circumcision on the outside in order to truly belong to God. And Paul was absolutely adamant, we see this over and over again in the New Testament, that that is just not true. It's not true. Look at, he addressed this in Romans chapter 2, verse 28 through 29. He said, a person is not a Jew, you know, 
a person who belongs to the family of God, a person of God. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly. It's not about being born ethnically as a Jew or being circumcised, being a proselyte. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart. That's what God's looking for. By the Spirit, not by a written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people. They don't do this for people to be impressed with them. Their praise is from God. So for Paul, the Jewish Christians were out of line because what? They were obsessed with decorating the flesh. And God's goal was to transform the heart. That's totally different. They were focused on the outside. Jesus was focused on the inside. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 17 through 18. Jesus said, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear bad fruit. Does that make sense? Jesus is not into decorating bad trees with good fruit. Jesus is not interested in coming up to a bad tree and just saying, let me just staple some nice fruit on there. It's not what Jesus is into. He's into healing bad trees to become good trees that naturally bear good fruit. Do you see that? So we may not be into circumcising people. We may say, this passage is not for me. We, I don't, we don't do that. We don't care about circumcising people. But we might be into addressing the externals when Jesus is concerned with the internals. Do you realize that? We might be obsessing over if someone is dressed correctly when they're here, when Jesus is just glad they're here. We might be obsessing over whether someone's joined our church when Jesus is just glad they're out of church. We might be obsessing over whether someone sings well when Jesus is just glad they're singing to him at all. We might be obsessing over whether someone prays with us or not when Jesus is just hoping we'll pray for them. Or, let's take this to you individually. You individually might be obsessing over the amount of mission trips you haven't gone on. Like when I talked about mission trips earlier, you might have thought, oh no, like not, I don't go on enough mission trips. And you might be obsessing over how much of the Bible you haven't read or how many cuss words you have said, right? So I'm not saying those things don't matter at all. What I'm saying is that what Jesus is ultimately after, first and foremost, is your heart. That is what Jesus is ultimately after. What, what Jesus is ultimately after is your faith, your hope, and your trust in him. And he's not after decorations. He's after renovation. That's what he's after. So, look, if, if you are doing homework and your mom interrupts you and you snap at her, that reveals something has gone wrong in you, right? Now, if, if you look at someone as an object for sex rather than a person to love, that reveals something has gone wrong in you. 
If you desire that evil would befall someone because you don't like them or because of something they've done, that reveals that something has gone wrong in you. Do you see that? This is actually a major part of what Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount. You know, when he said, you know, if you've hated someone, you've actually committed murder in your heart. Jesus is saying, you know, this is something not just about what we do on the outside. This is about something deeply wrong within us that we were born with. Jesus knows we don't need band-aids. What we need to be addressed and healed is ultimately inside of us. In John chapter 2, verse 23 through 25, we read that while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. Great. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. So have I convinced you yet? There's something deeply wrong inside of us. And look, we can try to regulate the outside of us all we want, but what Jesus came to transform is what's inside of us. And if what's inside of us is addressed, then look, a loving behavior will, will more naturally follow that. Do you see that? So the commands and the teachings we see in the Bible are not merely about behavior modification. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. It's not merely about behavior modification. The commands and the teachings in the Bible are about pointing us back to love. Pointing us back to love. And so, look, if we're honest, there are things within us that need to be addressed, but we have a tendency to do what? To use Christianity as a way of hiding those things rather than coming to Jesus for the healing of those things. And this is what we see Paul saying to the Philippians. Look, nobody had better decorations before he knew Jesus than Paul did, right? Nobody looked better on the outside than he did. Nobody had a better resume than he did. There's just one problem, though. He was dead on the inside. He was lifeless. He was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees observed the law more strictly than anyone else. That should make them good, right? Well, apparently not. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So that's where Paul was. What happened to Paul? Well, he met Jesus. He met Jesus and saw a light in Jesus that shines more brightly than anything he had ever seen before. Encountered a person who loved and cared more deeply than anyone he had ever met before and experienced a mercy and forgiveness more radical than he had ever received before. And when Paul experienced being with Jesus, he was all in, and he could not keep it to himself. He was all in for Jesus because in Jesus, he encountered God being all in for him, right? And everything else in the world paled in comparison 
The decorations that used to be on his house that he used to find all his hope and value in were nothing compared to the one who had now entered the inside of his house, Jesus. But Paul used to find all of his hope and worth in the decorations of his life. But when he realized they once acted as a way of actually keeping Jesus out, he now considered them to be what we call in the accounting world a loss. One of the reasons that people struggled with saying yes to following Jesus and becoming like him was that they were so obsessed with maintaining how they looked on the outside that they could not bear the idea or the thought of Jesus coming inside. Don't, don't mess with this, Jesus. I have an image to maintain. They, in the same way that we do, found their identity in their money, their job, their possessions, their status, and their supposed morality and goodness, and their comforts. And Jesus could not bring healing to them because they wanted to play dress up instead of letting Jesus touch and transform what was in them. They were doing what Paul said he used to do, putting confidence in the flesh. But it doesn't matter how much flesh a body has if there's no life in it. As Charles Spurgeon once said, to wash and dress a corpse is a far different thing from making it alive. Man can do the one, God alone can do the other. What they had to discover is what we all have to discover, that Jesus cannot transform what we do not give to him. And that Jesus cannot heal what is not offered to him in faith. At the ending of his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis said this, The principle runs through all of life from top to bottom. Give up yourself, and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes, every day, and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep nothing back. Nothing that you have not given away will really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. So is he saying you just need to be a robot and never have desires or ambitions or hopes or dreams? No, that's not what he's saying at all. He's just saying we just open ourselves up and we give them to Jesus. The invitation we have received in Jesus is not an invitation to be a robot. I want to make that clear. But it's an invitation to bring all of ourselves to God each day, not just the outside. And as the message translation of Psalm 5, verse 3 puts it, Every morning I lay out the pieces of my life on your altar and watch for fire to descend. That's what we're doing when we become disciples of Jesus. We're simply offering ourselves to Jesus piece by piece, trusting that he can do the work of transformation that we can And Paul assured us that at the time he was writing this letter, he was not fully transformed yet. There was still work to do. You know, the life of Jesus had started to take form in him years before. He would always be in the process of becoming like Jesus in this life. 
And discipleship is not a zap from heaven. It's not like we just say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. Zap, oh, okay, I'm, I'm perfect, said no one. Sure, there may be periods of gross spurts, but ultimately discipleship is a daily decision to wake up, follow Jesus, and let his life take shape and form in you over time. Now, it may, I'm about to get very personal here, it may surprise you to know that over the course of my life, I've personally struggled with just uh, anger or having like a fit of rage. And you're like, you? That's not possible. You seem so, so calm. Well, I didn't start that way. <laughs> it took a lot of just surrendering to Jesus over the course of my life. You know, whenever I would lose a competition or lose a game, like, uh, uh, just kind of realizing, oh, I don't like that. That's, that doesn't look like Jesus. Jesus, please help me. Help me with that. Now, if, if you would have asked me a couple of weeks ago, Cody, do you still struggle with that? Do you still struggle with just uh, anger or having a fit of rage? I would have said, not anymore. I've, I've left that behind. I'm a disciple of Jesus, and I've, I've outgrown that. Well, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, um, a couple of weeks ago, I was just having a really, really bad day. Just very, very frustrated. Just stressed out of my mind, in a hurry, rushing, tired, and just not totally collected. And I, I was cleaning some stuff in the bathroom, and just a little thing happened. Like I was cleaning something, and I, I dropped, I think, the Clorox wipe maybe like in the showers, something very small. And I just went, ah, like I just went, ah, like I just slammed the Clorox bottle. <laughs> like I just lost it and of course Marcella is in our room next to the bathroom and she said what was that and I was like oh man I've never had to encounter this in marriage before so I walked into our room embarrassed I said hey honey I'm, I'm very I'm very sorry I, I lost it because of something very little and I'm sorry I lost my temper. I knew that had to be kind of unnerving. She said, that's okay. I forgive you. I said, okay. Okay. And I just felt very sad and, and frustrated. Um, but, you know, one thing that I was just, in that moment, in that moment, honestly, I thought, wow, this is still in me? Like, I thought I was over that. There's still anger and frustration and, and rage in me. Now, there are two ways I could look at that. I could say, I could either shame myself into trying harder next time, or I could let that moment show me that I'm not as over having a fit of rage as I thought I was. And that there is a lot more within me that I still need Jesus to heal. In fact, I will always have things for Jesus to heal inside of me in this life. And that's okay. What's important is that I don't justify it, but truly and honestly confess it to the Lord and seek his help in it. I'm not trying to justify having a fit of rage. It's very unloving behavior. And people around you in that moment 
are scared and nervous and upset. So I'm not trying to justify that. But what I am trying to say is that you don't go to a doctor when you're perfect. You go to a doctor because you're imperfect. And Jesus said, I am the good physician. And so we take what's in us and we view our failings, we view our sin as an indicator that, wow, there's still so much to be healed inside of me, still so much room to grow and grow and grow. In those moments when we fall short, it's so easy to get discouraged, right? But I am encouraged when I see how far I've come. When I see how much more like Jesus I have come to look over the course of my discipleship to him. Like when I look back and say, wow, that's so infrequent and rare in my life where it used to be so common in my life. When I look back and see how Jesus has healed me in this area over the course of my life as I've brought it to him piece by piece, day by day, he has continually brought healing and transformation in my life. And he can and he does the same thing for you, in you, as you bring it to him, as you give it to him, as you surrender it to him, as you stop pretending that I'm perfect and you say, come in, Jesus, come in, Jesus. Now, a practice I want to leave you with this week is a practice known as confession. Confession. Now, this is, of course, not mandatory, but I invite all of us to do something this week, to just invite one area of your life this week in which you feel like you would like to become more like Jesus. So I just invite you to just prayerfully think about that. Maybe it's the way you talk about people behind their back. Maybe it's a lack of generosity or hospitality. Maybe it's a refusal to forgive someone who has wronged you. I'm not asking you to pick everything. That would, that would take a while. But just one thing this week. Let's just choose one thing this week. And, you know, I wouldn't just pick this. I would ask the Lord to reveal what that one thing might be for you. And without judgment, take it to the Lord in prayer this week. And in your daily times of prayer, just simply tell Jesus that you are struggling with this and that you need his healing and his help. The practice of confession is something you can do with a trusted friend, but it's also something you can do privately with God. Confession reminds us that there is still so much broken within us. Sometimes we think of confession as listing out, I did this wrong, this wrong. Sometimes confession is just, Lord, I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I need help. I need your grace. What is grace? It's God doing in you what you are not able to do on your own. That's what we're asking God for. Give me your grace. Work in me what I can't work out on my own. So look, confession, it helps us to remove the decorations we have set up to make our lives look perfect, and it invites Jesus not into the life we wish we had, but into our actual lives here and now. You don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus. That's not even possible for us, at least in this life. Instead, let him take hold of you each and every day. Experience his forgiveness of what is behind and his empowering presence and love for what is ahead as we press on together towards not just going somewhere, but becoming someone 
like Jesus. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you have called us not to be audience members, but disciples. And Lord, if we are an audience member, then that's where we are right now. But that's what invitations are for. That's, you, that's why you invited the audience members to come and follow you, to be with you, to become more and more like you every day as you shape us as a potter would shape clay into something beautiful and to do what you would do if you were us. As you said, Lord Jesus, let your light shine before others so that they can see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. Lord, we, we realize that uh, for a lot of people, one of the biggest differences that will be made in their lives is just seeing the love of God shown through us. It seems like such a big and heavy task, but Lord, you haven't called us to be perfect. You just called us to receive your light and to not hide it in public, but to let it shine. Lord, there is so much in us that needs healing. We like to walk around and pretend like we're perfect. But Lord, help us with each other to simply come to you, the good physician, and offer up what's inside of us, rather than hiding behind what Paul used to hide behind, being circumcised on the eighth day, being a Hebrew of Hebrews, being a Pharisee, being very zealous. Lord, at the end of the day, he just needed you. And we just need you, Lord. Lord, make us more like you, Jesus. You haven't asked us to become you, but you've called us to follow you and become more like you each and every day. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus.